This episode of Biscuits and Jam is presented by Boar's Head. Welcome to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm your host, Sid Evans, and today I'm talking with a guy who's proven that a major fashion brand can grow out of a very small southern town. Billy Reed was born and raised in Amit, Louisiana, but he's called Florence, Alabama home for more than 20 years now. It's there that he opened his first shop, which was designed to feel like a southern home, much in the way that his mother had done with her own boutique years before. Since then, Billy has opened his eponymous stores all over the South and beyond, filling them with antiques, family photographs, great music, and his distinctive brand of Southern hospitality. We'll talk about all that, his grandmother's fried chicken, his connection to the music of Muscle Shoals, and his lifelong obsession with the LSU Tigers on this week's Biscuits and Jam. Well, uh, Billy Reed, welcome to Biscuits and Jam. Great to be here and good to see you. Yeah, you too. It's been a while. I've got to start out just by saying thank you because I love your clothes <laughs> and I've been wearing them for a long time. And I mean, they just work for me and I can't say that about many brands. So they make my life easier. I love your stuff. So thank you. Well, thank you. I mean, that's very kind. Thank you. How long have you been back in Alabama now? I've been here since 2011. And what about you? How long have you been in Alabama? We moved here right after 9-11, so 2001. Yeah, so 22 years. Yeah, yeah, hard to believe. I want to hear more about Florence in a minute. But before we do that, I just want to ask you about where you grew up. Tell me a little bit about Amit, Louisiana. Amit. You said it correctly. <laughs> I've been there. I actually went there when I was in high school for a skeet shooting tournament. Drove down there with my dad. But tell me a little bit about Amit and what the town kind of looks and feels like and what that community is like. Amit's a small town, probably about 3,500 people. And my mom had a, a clothing store there. So I kind of grew up around the business. Her store was in my grandmother's old house. And it was complete with a kitchen and it felt like a house. And it was a place where people wanted to hang out. And I never realized how far ahead of her time she was because she was creating the retail experience before it was a thing, so to speak. It was a great hangout with a lot of characters. When I saw the movie Steel Magnolias, I said, this feels like it could have been set in your clothing store. She was a great retailer, man. This was back in the days of Calvin Klein jeans and Gloria Vanderbilt. She had a big, big jeans business and specialty items. She had truck shows all the time and really rubbed off on me because when we started to open our own shops, I really wanted that kind of vibe, you know, and that place where people would just want to come and and hang out. Didn't matter if they came and bought anything, just do you like coming here and like the energy? What was the name of her shop? TJ's for her. TJ's for her. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing it's not still in business? It is not. I think mid-90s she got out of that and she started writing books and she was doing some stuff with QVC, some other kind of consulting work. 
So tell me a little bit about the clientele. I mean, there had to be some characters walking mm-hmm. in and out of that store. What are some people that come to mind? One of the things I remember most was the diversity of age group. She had a jeans business, which definitely catered to teenagers, 20-somethings. But as well, she had women 50 years old, 60 years old, buying Bobby Brooks slacks. So it was a wide range of people, as well as I just remember the frantic times around the holidays when men would come in and just say, please help me, (laughs) make me look good. She always tells a story about a man came in and bought a whole bunch of gifts. And when his wife came in, she says, oh, how did you like your new coat? And she goes, what new coat? Oh, no. (laughs) He was busted. He was buying it for somebody else. He was buying it for somebody else. (laughs) So you learn to tread lightly. I mean, a town the size of a meat, you're not going to get away with that for very long. Not for very long. No, 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 no. So kind of paint a picture for me. When you're driving into a meat, what does it look like? What does it feel like? I mean, it's flat with pine trees, and you start to feel the swamp a little bit because we're 15 miles from Lake Maurepas, where you just turn into nothing but water, you know, swampland. So we're probably like 15, 20 miles from that. If you've ever been to Hammond, we're 15 miles from Hammond. It's hot (laughs) all the time. It rains a lot. The food is great. The people are interesting, but it's still home. To me, and there's a lot of things I miss about it, for sure. My parents made me very proud to be from Louisiana. That's for sure. Yeah. They live it every second and have never left. So it's pretty close to Mississippi. I mean, is there kind of a Cajun accent or is it more just sort of a Southern accent there? You get a little mix of both, but you definitely get the rural Mississippi kind of influence but you're also getting the whole Creole effect from New Orleans. And also, too, around that area is where a heavy, heavy population of Italians, specifically from Sicily, settled. So I have a lot of family members that are full Italian. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the food, and you've always been someone who loves food and who appreciates chefs and makers and farmers and all the people that make Southern food what it is. Who was the cook in your family and what was on the dinner table? Oh, my gosh. My grandmother was incredible. So incredible. What was her name? Maddie Lee. (laughs) Maddie Lee. Yeah. Great name. Such a sweet lady. She became visually impaired later in life, but cooking was her love and I was her love, too. She spoiled me rotten. (laughs) And she would fry my own little thing of fried chicken for me. I spent almost every weekend up there with her because she had her farm with cows, goats, chickens, and horses, and a huge garden. Well, she sold eggs out of the back of her house. God, just such fond memories, you know. I can just remember as a kid sitting in my underwear on the kitchen counter and her cooking fried chicken for me and we're listening to John Ferguson called the LSU football game. Uh, yeah. It's like I can taste it and hear it right now. She was the uh, huge, huge influence on me. Best cook ever. She's incredible. And was this your mom's mom? This is my mom's mom. 
You mentioned the fried chicken, but was there a lot of Cajun food, Louisiana gumbos and that kind of thing? <laughs> All the time. All the time, for sure. I mean, shrimp creole, crawfish etouffee, jambalaya, red beans and rice. We did the whole routine. We still cook our recipes to this day. I would never tell my grandmother this, but my wife, Jean, has mastered some of her recipes better than my grandmother's. What's one that y'all really love and that you make pretty often? The kids love jambalaya, so that became a go-to. Yeah, They weren't much on red beans and rice. I think it might be just the visual. <laughs> if, if any of the kids are coming home, they specifically request jambalaya. It's made before they get there, and there's enough of it where they can eat it the whole weekend. Oh, that's great. That's great. So, Billy, I guess this is related, but the notion of hospitality is so much a part of your brand Mm -hmm. and, you know, welcoming people into your stores and entertaining people in your hometown. Is that something that you kind of learned from your grandmother as well? I did. I definitely learned it from watching my mom and her store and how she approached it. So our first store here in Florence was in an old house, had a kitchen in the back, a little tea room off to the side. And we took full advantage of that. And we were constantly cooking. The bar was stocked. When someone came in, the hospitality was on steroids. And that was exactly what I wanted. I mean, we love to entertain to make them feel special. And that's something she did. And having that opportunity right off the bat for us to kind of launch in that way really established a standard, not just for our store here, but as we began to kind of expand, everyone kind of took that on and still do to this day. Every store I've been to of yours, it feels like a home. I mean, there's family photos on the walls and comfortable furniture and Usually somebody offers you a water or or even a beer. Maybe it feels very much like you're being welcomed into somebody's home. I'm glad you said that because that's the exact reaction we would want someone to feel like. That meant something to me. It felt personal and that felt like a good way for us to connect with people. Certainly in the beginning, I mean, literally we were connecting with people one customer at a time. And thank goodness that word kind of spread and people started driving up to Florence from Birmingham and taking the visit. And that also gave us a chance to really kind of involve the community and really talk about the music heritage here that at that time, the movie wasn't made. So we were the Muscle Shoals documentary, the Muscle Shoals documentary. So yeah, yeah, it, it was just who we were. We didn't have to make anything up. And once we started doing that, it's like, man, we can just operate from our gut. Just be ourselves, and hopefully people like it. Yeah. Well, it's clearly working. And I'm very happy that you have one here in Birmingham now, which is uh, which is great. I love that store. So you worked for a store in, I think, Hammond. I did, yeah. What was that experience like for you, and what did you kind of take away from that that you've applied to your business? Joe Buddy and Karen Anderson, there was a couple that owned the store, and they were family friends. I think Joe Buddy had actually dated my mom at one point. So a lot of folks kind of wondered if I was his son. So (laughs) he was, to this day, top three style icons for me. This guy was the most impeccably dressed man Anywhere he went, I remember I was lifeguarding at the country club 
and I was driving around and I look over at the tee box and I see this guy in a starch white Oxford shirt, black and white Glenn plaid trousers and two-tone golf shoes that I later found out were alligator when he came into the clubhouse. And he's got his, I believe it was a Triumph. It may have been an MG. I think he got pissed off when I said it was an MG. And he would put his golf bag in the back, Christmas parties, cashmere, bright red sweater, beautiful flannel trousers, alligator loafers, no socks. I mean, this guy, and he was one of the first stores to carry Ralph Lauren in the South. And I just sucked it up like a sponge. And I looked up to him so much. And he got me interested in menswear. I mean, it sounds like it was kind of a combination of your mom's store and that experience that informed so much of what you do now. Both of those things still stick with me and have been good shining lights throughout my years. But, you know, I think you kind of pick up stuff from everything. Yeah. You know, certainly working at Saks Fifth Avenue was unbelievable. I mean, learning about luxury products, how to make made-to-measure suits, learning the business, being around at the days of Perry Ellis and Bill Robinson, Giorgio Armani, opening a Ralph Lauren store, all of those things. I just sucked it up. And then working with Reebok for six years and with Greg Norman, when I love sports so much and being associated with that, it really gave me a chance to kind of travel and learn how to develop products. I took a little bit from all of that and really didn't start my business till I was 30. After the break, I'll talk more with Billy Reed about LSU football, his family's tailgate traditions, and the day he met Mike the Tiger and Bear Bryant at the same game. This episode of Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living is presented by Boar's Head. Introducing Sweet Bee's Honey Barbecue Glazed Chicken, a new classic flavor available only from Boar's Head that brings the celebrated traditions, signature flavors, and iconic taste of sweet honey barbecue to your local deli. Inspired by famous barbecue joints and the aficionados who know the reward is worth the wait, comes an authentic experience that can only be from Boar's Head. Made with premium ingredients, this slow-roasted chicken is delightfully sweet with notes of honey and perfectly balanced with savory hints of hickory smoke. Honey drizzled and barbecue sizzled. Ask for freshly sliced Sweet Bee's Honey Barbecue Chicken during your next visit to the deli counter. Boar's Head. Compromise elsewhere. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome back to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, and today I'm talking with fashion designer and Southern tastemaker, Billy Reed. You know, speaking of sports, Billy, I want to talk football for a minute. Okay, you're going to put some Roll Tide on me or something? Heck no. no I'm Go Vols all the way. Oh, there you go. You know, it's late August when we're having this conversation, so the season is upon us. You're a big, big LSU fan, to say the least. Mm-hmm. And I heard you say somewhere that you thought you had never missed a single LSU game. (laughs) I've missed very few. I've either listened to it, watched it, or been there at some capacity. I mean, I remember driving through Wisconsin at a wedding 
and we could pick up WWL. It's a clear channel station. We're in Wisconsin, and I was here in the game. This is before streaming audio. But, yeah, I'm addicted. Well, talk to me about your connection to that school and that team. Was this something that you just sort of grew up with? Like, you didn't have a choice? You were born and raised an LSU fan, or did you kind of find it later? Both. I mean, (laughs) it wasn't a choice, for (laughs) sure, but I loved every second of it. If you're from Louisiana, typically you're going to be an LSU fan. Even if, as I've moved all over, it it never has left me. It's just part of my soul, part of who I am. Have you raised LSU fans? I have. I have one daughter that went to LSU, so she was hook, line, and sinker at an early age. That was my oldest. But they're LSU fans. They don't have a choice either. <laughs> <laughs> Jeannie went to Auburn, so they're Auburn fans as well. And I've seen them turn on me at an Auburn game one time, and I left the stadium. I was so pissed off. <laughs> Literally left my seat. I looked over, and they're freaking cheering for Cam Newton. And I go, I'm going to go. I'm going back to the tailgate. <laughs> Plus, they were kicking our ass, so it didn't matter. <laughs> well, it's hard to grow up in Alabama and be an LSU fan. you got to mm-hmm. have some strong willpower, and you put up with a lot all the time. I mean, it happened yesterday. I had an LSU t-shirt on. A guy goes, you know Alabama's number one. I was like, oh my gosh. You hit me the wrong way. And I said, well, I just got back from Omaha. Last time I checked, we were number one. Baseball doesn't matter. I said, well, that's because your coach was betting against his own team. (laughs) Well, we have a long season ahead. When you think about your traditions and kind of what it looks like on game days. Do you and Jeannie like to have people over or are you kind of happier if you can be left alone to yell at the TV? It depends on the game. I can tell you that the LSU Alabama game is one where we don't go to anybody's house. Ain't nobody coming over. Don't (laughs) want to hear it till we win. And it's the same way with, (laughs) with Jeannie and Auburn and Alabama. Jeannie's one of nine children. And her mom had nine kids in 11 years. Wow. But she will not invite certain family members over because she knows they're Alabama fans. (laughs) You know how that is around here. I I do. I do. So you really have to kind of plan your tailgate events accordingly. But give me an example of maybe it's a low-pressure game Mm -hmm. and it's one where, you know, Everything lines up and you want to invite people over. What are y'all doing? What are you cooking? Well, I usually try to bring a little bit of Louisiana up here. For the last time we had a tailgate, I shipped in some boudin balls and we fried boudin balls, genie cook jambalaya. A lot of folks around here aren't used to getting the real thing. So we try to put that spin on it. And then, of course, stock the bar with all the goodies. Well, and I've seen you've got a nice grill set up. Do you have something going out there sometimes? Oh, yeah, that as well. Usually some sausage, some boudin, and I do like this Cajun-rubbed pork chops and make them into bites. Yeah. Just make everything easy. We are very casual. Yeah. Not fancy about it at all. Yeah. Well, it sounds pretty good. I'll be looking for my invitation one of these days, maybe when they're not playing in Tennessee. Anytime. Anytime. Yeah. You got to come up, come on up and visit. Yeah. I would love it. Billy, when you think about your kind of long career, 
as an LSU fan, what's a moment that stands out and something other than the national championships? Is there a moment that really just is sort of seared in your memory? Does it include getting kicked out of the stadium or not? Sure. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's happened. <laughs> my favorite moment is when I was 12 years old and I was a Boy Scout in my section in Tiger Stadium is where the visitors sit. We were playing Alabama. Bear Bryant was coaching. And at that time, we would bring Mike the Tiger, the real Tiger, in a cage and they would park the cage right in front of the entrance where the visiting team comes onto the field. And I don't know what possessed me, but I got on the field and just was hanging out on the field. Today, there's no telling what would have happened. It wouldn't have happened, right. (laughs) It wouldn't have happened. But I'm in there. I got my Boy Scout uniform on. When I have my back turned to the tiger cage, I'm right near the traveling cage. And all of a sudden, I hear this roar. And I turn around. Mike the tiger pees floods my entire uniform (laughs) a 500 pound tiger has a lot of capacity (laughs) so it's completely soaked and then i look up and of course the roar was because alabama was coming out of the tunnel and i see bear bryant and i had my program in my hand and I looked at him, and I kept staring at him. He looked at me, probably thought something was wrong with me, that I'm sitting there completely soaking wet. And I said, hey, coach. And he stopped. And he says, hey, young man. And I handed him a program, he signed it, and he said, good luck to you. And he patted me on my head. Alvy. <laughs> and I said, that night, I was anointed by Mike the Tiger and Bear Bryant at the same time. <laughs> I mean, (laughs) some magic. Wow. I hope you still have that program. (laughs) I do. I do have it. My parents have it. Yeah. Oh, that's great. What a story. Yeah. What a story. Well, Billy, I want to talk music for a second because that's another passion of yours. And it also is woven into everything that you do. And you've hosted an event called Shindig for years that I've been to a couple of times. And it's a big celebration of food and music and Southern culture. Is there a performance that kind of stands out for you from all those years of doing Shindig? Preservation Hall Band was incredible. Just simply because my expectations were, I didn't know if people were going to like it. Mm -hmm. And especially younger people. But then when I looked over and I saw all of my nieces and nephews standing up, going bananas, and then I could see my parents dancing and the whole crowd was going nuts. That was a truly special event. And I'd say one of the others is this was right when the Alabama shapes were kind of just coming up. And we took a risk and we didn't tell people who the headliner act was going to be. We kept it secret. Said, secret guest, tickets are $99. Now, the tickets are expensive because that's a small theater. You can only get about 700 people in there. And I was going, I just wonder if people are going to buy these tickets. Well, we sold it out within like two days. And when they came on stage, people went freaking bananas because they were so hot at that time. I was at that show. uh, You were at that show? Yeah. Oh, my God. That was incredible. It really was. Butch Anthony helped do the backdrop. Really, all of these cultural things that kind of evolve around our brand came from a personal spot, but it's also, it's all the people. It's the friends. It's people like Butch. It's people like Shelly Colvin that have connections that can 
bring folks into our sort of world. And it's happened because of a lot of people kind of came together and, and we all sort of liked each other. Yeah. And just people that want to make it work, despite some, I'm sure, very challenging odds and mm-hmm. probably numbers that don't <laughs> work in your The face. numbers don't work at all. <laughs> we're a small company here, but we're trying to do something really big. And for that to happen, it takes people to kind of do it because they want to do it and they want to be yeah. a part of it. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever been to the Newport Folk Festival. I have not. I, it's on my bucket list. You would totally dig it. It's in your wheelhouse. But it's kind of the same. Folks want to be a part of it. The musicians come and they stay the entire weekend so they can hang out. And that's kind of what we tried to create here with Shindig. Yeah. We want you to come play, but we really just want you to come enjoy yourself. Yeah. You know, I often see pictures of you holding a guitar. I've heard you actually play at a very late night gig in Florence one time. (laughs) I hope you are inebriated. Oh, well, it's possible, but it sounded great at the time. I will tell you that. Then you were very inebriated. (laughs) (laughs) But tell me, what are some of the things that you like to play when you're just sitting down on the couch and you've got a minute, just you and your guitar? Oh, man, everything. I really love to take pop songs like Ariana Grande and put it to my own kind of deal. And my kids hate it. Yeah. They just roll their eyes. So I am continuing down that track, and they hate that track. Well, Billy, you're a bit of a music historian, and especially when it comes to Florence. When you're talking to people in New York and in the fashion world and all over the world on your travels, how do you explain the importance of Florence and Muscle Shoals when it comes to music? You can kind of go pre-documentary, post-documentary with the movie Muscle Shoals because before the movie, Shindig was kind of part of that. We brought in editors from New York and Los Angeles to come here to see what we're working on, but we also wanted them to understand the culture and the history of the area because at that time, I always said, this is one of the greatest stories in music that really nobody knows. And we were trying to tell that story. Once the movie came out, We didn't have to say anything anymore. I could just say, have you seen the documentary Muscle Shoals? (laughs) I ask everyone, and now I'm on your podcast. I'm getting to ask everyone out there, have they seen the documentary Muscle Shoals? Go see it, yeah. Go see it. It's so powerful. And that energy, you can just feel it. You can just feel it. And it's still happening. I've always tried promoting that movie and promoting our area and our history because I've think it's something that our community can really build on and continue to attract more and more people from all over the world that are coming to visit the studios and just kind of feed off that energy. Yeah. And it's been really a privilege to kind of be a part of that and, you know, to be involved with the movie. Yeah. We're so proud of of our area for that and just really happy to be a part of it. Well, Billy, I just have one more question for you. What does it mean to you to be Southern? You know, I was in New York with my company before 9-11 and then we lost everything and moved here to kind of regroup and restart and a lot of that was because i wanted to be back down south i love new york but i wanted to coach my kids little league team you know i wanted to be able to raise my kids in a small town the way i grew up 
I wanted to know I could get in my Jeep and be out in the woods in 15 minutes. Those are things that I love. I don't know if those are Southern things or just wanting to be closer to family and closer to your roots. But once we got here and as we started Billy Reed, after losing business and restarting, it was definitely more personal. And certainly I'm a Southerner, so that was going to come across. It came across even with my old business. People knew it just when I started talking. As we started to grow and knowing we were, you know, different for a fashion house to be based in Florence, Alabama, not New York or Milan or Paris. But I felt like that separated us. But I also felt like it put a lot of pressure on us to be the beacon of good. I always wanted to represent Alabama, the South, in the most positive way, no matter what it was, and show we can do this from here and we can sit right beside you, you know? And I've always felt a responsibility to kind of make sure that we're fighting the good fight and giving people nothing but positivity about what's happening here. That doesn't dismiss any of our horrific past, but we can definitely try to look towards a really positive future. Well, y'all are doing that, and I hope you keep at it for a long time. And Billy Reed, thanks for being on Biscuits and Jam. Sid, thank you. I look forward to seeing you soon. Me too. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Billy Reed. Southern Living is based in Birmingham, Alabama. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And we'd love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Our theme song is by Sean Watkins of Nickel Creek. I hope you'll join us next week for my conversation with Rebecca and Megan Lovell, the incredible musicians behind the Roots rock band Larkin Poe. We'll see you then. Bye.